22, 11, and 12 is what we spent two weeks on, and we're going to move forward. Let the women, the woman learn in silence with all subjection, but I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. And this, this carries on the same thought, how and why this is, okay, in God's, in God's uh, government, so to speak. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved. We'll talk about this at the end tonight. In childbearing, if, these continue, if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. Okay, so what's the whole point of this? Well, we're not going to make more of it. We're not going to make less of it. We want to be biblical. And so we, I don't want to rehash everything we've talked about for two weeks. If you have missed these or would like to know more on this, what, as I've studied, what I've come, come away with from the Bible, from the Scriptures, comparing Scripture to Scripture, okay? The, uh, not last week, but the two Wednesdays before, you could listen to it on the website and pull up uh, the last two parts of this study in 1 Timothy. Remember, these are the pastoral epistles. It's speaking... Uh, Primarily to order in the church, okay? How are, how are things to be orderly? And what's orderly in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is for men to lead. That's orderly. It's not out of order. It's not something that men dreamed up to have dominion over women. It is orderly according to the word of God. God has an order, okay? And I say this all the time. I don't want to talk about everything we spoke over the last two weeks, but I am going to mention something that... Uh, if, if men, this is not a blanket condemnation, it never is. If men in general in the church of Jesus Christ around the country, around the world, if men would draw closer to the Lord and be what they were called to be more so, this would be almost a problem, so to speak, would disappear because a, a man leading and being led by the Lord under the authority of God, and we have wonderful godly men here, Okay, so again, it's not pointing the finger. It's just in general. If men were leading more, I'm not saying it would alleviate the problem because you still have women that might try to usurp authority. It's not of God. But it would handle a lot of the, the problems if men were fulfilling their positions as pastors and bishops and deacons and, and teachers and ministers of the gospel in the home, in the church, in the world, so to speak, li living it out and being close to the Lord a godly woman will gladly, if she's godly, saved and then godly, will gladly fall in line with that and does not consider that she's, uh, uh, you know, a, what, a doormat or something like that because it's not. She's not a doormat, all right? A godly man and a godly woman have a godly marriage and they find their roles and their place in Christ, both being under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. So a couple of things. So Paul is talking about here the order, and he's talking about a headship. We'll go to this verse a lot, but I want you to keep your spot there, but turn to uh, 1 Corinthians 11.3. We're going to go back to this chapter probably more than once tonight. 1 Corinthians, what is Paul dealing with? He's speaking to a church. He's speaking to the church at Corinth, who at this time uh, in 1 Corinthians had a lot of carnality, immaturity, and things like this. They were saved. They were born again. 
He did not disown them, nor certainly did Christ disown them. He said the order's not right in several things, several areas, okay? Here's one. And so uh, 1 Corinthians eleven three, But I would have you know that the head of every man, the head of every man above, okay, in, in authority, uh, not domineering, but having dominion in that place of authority. The head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. So I think it's important that it even puts that last phrase, the head of Christ is God. Nobody in this room would think that Christ is less than God, the Father, right? Nobody here would think that because it's, it's, it's true. He's not less, nor is the Holy Spirit. But we talked about this a few weeks ago. God still has an order. He has an order. But it doesn't mean that one is less of a deity in the Godhead. It simply means there is God the Father. There is God the Son. When Christ was on the earth, he only did the things he saw his Father doing. I can do nothing of myself. But what I see my father doing, that does the son does also. Is he less than the father? No. It's just a position. It's an order. God has an order. There's no way it'd be a, it would be a two-headed monster, say, in a marriage, if both tried to lead. Cannot. It's impossible. At some point, some point, somebody has to lead. It would, again, it'd be, it'd be, it's not God's way for for both to try to lead, so to speak. Uh, so anyway, we see this. The head, of every, the head of the woman is the man. That is something that's taught in the scriptures. It carries certainly into the marriage, into the home, raising children, uh, and then right into the church and how things are to be run. Women should not be the leaders of the church. The church should not be characterized by women leading. The church is not, we see no biblical grounds for a woman pastor. We see no b- biblical grounds for a woman bishop. Okay, a bishop is a, is a pastor, a shepherd. We're going to get to talking about this in the weeks to come, uh, probably next week, the qualifications for a bishop, which is one office in the church, the qualifications of a deacon. And we don't see, uh, we don't see, uh, it in practice and we don't see it in doctrine that a woman should or women should be leading does not mean they cannot minister does not mean that they cannot serve and I'll be honest a lot of times the woman in a marriage or or the woman even in a church or group is oftentimes a particular woman might be far more spiritual and mature and knowledgeable of the things of God and holier in their own practice than some of the men Okay, those men that are ungodly and unholy and immature shouldn't be leading at all. Okay, that doesn't give the woman the right to usurp it and say, well, I'm taking over here. Okay, there's still an order. And if it's God's church, he's going to have the people in place. Okay, he's going to have the people in place. And so uh, I want to talk about this. So what are we looking at specifically tonight? These last three verses, and primarily verses 13 and 14 of chapter 2. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. Well, what's the point about that? Well, it's just, the point is just what the point is. Adam was made first, right? Then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Now, I want us to look at this. So keep your spot. We, I'm going to read about this in Genesis chapter 1. 
We go all the way back to the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And on the sixth day, he created man in his image, right? After all the other aspects of physical creation, atmospheres and waters and dry land and plants and fruit trees and birds and fowls and fish and creeping things and mammals. And then he says, verse 26, and everything he said, it was good. When he finished making it, it was good. God said, verse Genesis 1, 26, let us make man in our image. This would include man and woman, but he made the man first. After our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea. So what did, here's an order right here, right? He doesn't say mammals are to have dominion over birds or any of those other. When he, when he got to creating man in his own image, he said, this is God's order. Let them have dominion over, okay, all of creation, really, over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. This is like mankind, okay? There's a man and a woman that are both mankind. And the man and the woman as mankind created in the image of God before the fall were the most vile things now. Man as a whole were the most godlike of all creation when first created and were given dominion, man and woman, let them have dominion over the earth. And God blessed them and said unto them, okay, this would be male and female, be fruitful. There had to be a male and a female to be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every creeping thing that moveth upon the earth. All right, so... Um, Adam was made first. So let's look at chapter 2, verse 7. So it kind of backs up and gives a little more detail than in, in Genesis chapter 1. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. Right? Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. The physical body just is going to return back into the ground and, and decompose and, and really return back to the ground it came from. But that's not the man. The man is created in the image of God. We have a spirit and a soul that is eternal. There is the fingerprint of God and a Christ-likeness, even about people that are saved. You understand what I'm saying? There's a, the image of God in their creation. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Okay? So he's just this physical, inanimate body, and then God breathes his breath of life, the spirit upon him, and man became a living soul. All right, so he's created first. Look at verse 15, same chapter 2. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou must freely eat. So he's given him some instructions. Verse 18, And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a help meet for him. Every other living creature of creation had a counterpart, an equal, a companion that was like them, okay? And God didn't try to, you know, take a squirrel and, and make it one with uh, the atmosphere or the clouds. I mean, he, he made compa compatible 
helpmates and companions, even in the animal kingdom we see, and especially for man. He said so in verse 18, it's not good that the man should be alone. This is the only thing so far that wasn't good in all God's creation. It wasn't an imperfection like God made it wrong. It was just not complete yet. He's about to complete what he intended. So verse 21, and the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam and he, and he slept and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. Okay, the man says when he wakes up, he sees the gift that's given to him and this helpmate and companion that's given to him. She's now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Okay, she's not uh, inferior, so to speak. There's still the position that he's the head. But she's not inferior in the sense of a being, okay? And he doesn't look at her that way. He's still to lead. He's supposed to. But she's not inferior. She shall be called woman because she's taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. Okay? So we're going a lot of detail here, but it's important. Man was first formed. Isn't that what... Paul, that's all that Paul's saying in 1 Timothy 2.13. Adam was formed first, then the woman. The woman was not formed first. The man was formed first. It's just an order that God has, but it's significant. Man was instructed to tend to the garden. He was the one that was given the, I guess, privilege or responsibility to name the animals. We didn't read it. But the, the Lord caused all the animals to pass in front of Adam. Whatever Adam called them, that became the name of the animal. That wasn't Adam and Eve. That was Adam. Okay, so there are privileges and responsibilities and headship that we see here given to Adam. Uh, woman, the woman was taken from the man. The man was not taken from the woman. It's not because I say so. We just read it. The man was not taken from the woman. The woman was taken from the man. Okay, and so both were to have dominion over God's creation. Both are higher than the animals and everything else, and both are created in such a way that they can fellowship and commune with God and be used by God. All right, Eve was to be a suitable companion or helpmate spiritually, mentally. They were to be compatible. You understand what I'm saying? He wasn't trying to, he didn't give him a rock to be his companion. What kind of fellowship could you have, right? or a fern tree, fern bush, or a pecan tree. He gave him what was taken from him and gave him back to him. He made this woman to be a suitable companion. They were to be compatible in their worship of God, their service. You understand what I'm saying? And in, in communing with one another and so forth. All right. Now, back to, uh, to Second Timothy. I mean, First Timothy chapter 2. It's God's order. Men and women have roles and responsibilities. It's not bigotry. I think I need to say that, not necessarily to this group of people, but just in general. If you ever had to defend this, it's not bigotry. It's not chauvinism. It is God's government and order. You could make it bigotry and chauvinism depending on your ungodliness. A man could do that, and a woman could do it with feminism, okay? But the point is, in God's government, it is what it is. 
It, it is what it is, and it's what it is supposed to be. And it's, it's to be uh, balanced, and it's to, it's to just be what, it, what he's made it to be. So what does he mean here when he says, for Adam was first formed, we read that, then Eve, simply talking about order and headship. Adam was not deceived. I, thought, I think this is interesting and worth looking at. Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Okay? And I just think it's interesting that the serpent, or that was Satan really, Satan directed his words to who? He didn't come talk to Adam. Satan directed his words to Eve. He directed the temptation. He came to steal, kill, and destroy. Okay? He wants to destroy what's precious to God and of God. And he came to Eve. And I'll just read this. You don't need to turn there, but I'm quoting from 2 Corinthians 11.3. Paul says, But I fear, speaking to the church, lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted through the simplicity that is in Christ. That was to all, his, his admonition was here, was to all believers, don't be beguiled like Eve was beguiled by the serpent. That's all I'm, I'm pointing out from that. But the, the devil came, the, Satan came through the serpent, and he directed his words to Eve, and she was beguiled. All right? That's the King James word for being deceived. Through his subtlety, that's his craftiness. He's very crafty, right? He can appear as an angel of light. His ministers can appear as angels of light. But he came to Eve. She was deceived by the serpent or by the devil and his half-truths. Half-truths are the worst kind of lies. Half-truths. They're a lot more effective, and the devil knows that. But she was actually beguiled and deceived. The man was not deceived. The man just simply willfully sinned. I'm not saying it's any better at all. She was duped, and she fell for it, and she believed a lie. Okay? The man did not believe the lie. The man just willfully sinned. They both end up in the same place. It's sin. It separates us from God. It brought a curse, and it brought death, and, it, and we're going to read some of it here in a little while. But it both ended up in the same place. But the woman was beguiled or deceived. Adam was not. Doesn't mean a man can't be deceived, all right? Men are deceived all the time. It just simply says in this instance, the woman was beguiled, not Adam. And then Adam willfully sinned. He just willfully sinned. And so uh, there is, and it says the woman was in the transgression, being deceived was in the transgression. That simply means viol violation. So Eve sinned first. Hers was a sin. She was deceived, but hers, she sinned, okay, because she ate what was forbidden for her to eat. She did sin. She was in the transgression violation. She sinned first, and then Adam sinned afterwards. There is something here. This is not me trying to dig for something to try to make it a, a point out of it. There can be a tendency, I would say, more so in women. Now, please understand when I say this. This is not every woman nor every man. There seems to be a tendency more that women can be more prone to being deceived. Okay? 
uh, they, they gets a big heart or they want to believe everybody or whatever it is. I don't know. I, it, I, I know men that are deceived equally as well, but I want to give a couple of scriptures about this. Uh, I'll read this from second. You can turn there if you want to. Second Timothy 3, 6. We'll get to it months ahead. We'll get to this passage at some point as we study first and second Timothy. Second Timothy 3, 6. And he's speaking about women. These aren't godly women, okay, but he, or men. He's talking about men. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts. These deceivers can come into a home and, and lead women astray. That's all he's saying here. They're, they're deceivers. And here is mentioned ladies specifically, silly women is what he, he calls them there, leads them astray. And uh, one other scripture, just real quickly on that. 1 Peter 3, I'm sorry, 1 Timothy 5.13. 1 Timothy 5.13. And with all, they learn to be idle. He's talking about women that are younger widows, and instead of serving God, they become busybodies. Can a man become a busybody? Absolutely. Can men be deceived? Absolutely. So we do see these scriptures, and I'm simply saying it because it's here. The woman was deceived in the garden there may be more of a propensity or a tendency, but they don't have to be, just like a man doesn't have to be deceived. But withal, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house. This is young widows who, instead of pressing into the Lord, they, they stray from their first love, okay? And uh, it says, and not only idle, but tattle tattlers also and busy bodies speaking things which they ought not all right that's enough of that right there but let's look at first peter i'll read it to you first peter 3 7 likewise you husbands dwell with them with your wives this is husbands and wives this is men and women this is in church this is christians likewise you husbands dwell with your wives both believers with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife. How about that? Giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. It means like frail. It means, I don't think it's just physically. It could be figuratively or literally, okay? Uh, but it means frail or weaker, all right? It can also mean the thought is like more precious, more valuable, and like to be cherished or handled carefully, Okay, give husbands dwell with your wives in knowledge, according to knowledge, giving honor to the wife as under the weaker vessel and being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. There's a lot more equality, I would say, in the believers, men and women, than there are differences. You understand what I'm saying? The, the man is to be the head. We've established that and we're talking about that, but they're still both can serve God. Both pray, both can be used by the Lord, both can be spiritually mature, both can have wisdom from God, both can have all the gifts of the Spirit at work in their lives. First Corinthians, uh, which we'll read in a moment, talks about the woman praying and prophesying in church. But there's an order in the way she should do it. There are conditions and qualifications, okay? 
And so, um, so let's keep on here. I want to read this. It, it almost looked, we were back in 1 Timothy 2, and it says, Adam was first formed, then Eve. Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. If I only had those two verses in this whole picture, it almost looks like the man is guiltless. You understand what it is? It almost looks like he's innocent. This is why it's so important, y'all, that any topic, whether can, can women teach in church, can women speak in church, any subject you pick that may be somewhat controversial, we have to go to the whole body of Scripture. If I just had that, and I read that Eve was deceived, uh, that woman being deceived was in the transgression, and then there's a period right there. It's just like, well, what about Adam? It almost seems like he was innocent. Do we know from the Bible that Adam was, was innocent? Adam was innocent in this sin? No. And it's worth reading. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles. We're going to look at, read two passages. Keep your spot there. So important that we compare Scripture to Scripture. Everything that is a doctrine, doctrine simply means teaching, that's biblical. If you're going to arrive at the right doctrine and right understanding of the doctrine, we have to look at, compare Scriptures to Scriptures. Some are just really crystal clear. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Well, there's no confusion there. It's Jesus and Jesus only. There's a, hundreds of other scriptures that say the same thing, but it's nothing confusing about that scripture. It's just right there, okay? Some scriptures, like what we just read, Eve was first deceived, not Adam, and the woman being deceived was in the transgression. She was. It's not controversial, but if we just had that, it seems like she's to blame. She's to blame. She's not to blame. Look at 1 Corinthians, or not only to blame. Let's put it that way. 1 Corinthians 15, this whole chapter talks about the resurrection and the rapture at the end of the chapter. It's a wonderful chapter. But let's look at verses 21 and 22. For since by man... Well, maybe is he just speaking of mankind? For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. Verse 22, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Well, wait a minute. I thought it was the woman that was in the transgression. She was. She was. And so was Adam. She was deceived. He was not. He saw what his wife had done, and he just went with it. I don't know, I can't explain exactly. I don't want to belittle it. I'm saying he just obviously was not deceived. He just willfully sinned. All right? So, Romans chapter 5. You ever want a good, the perfect chapter to clarify more of this? Go to Romans chapter 5. Turn with me there. Romans 5 verse 12. I'm going to skip and just hit certain scriptures. Romans 5 12. Wherefore, as by one man... Sin entered into the world. Who did, how did sin and by whom did sin enter into the world? It entered in through Adam. He is given the credit for it, so to speak. It's not something you want credit for, but it is all placed upon Adam. Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Verse 14. 
Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression. So he did sin, he did transgress, and by his sin, he is the one that brought sin into the world. That's what the Bible says, okay? Even after those who had not sinned after Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. He was a type of Christ, so to speak. There's the first Adam and the second Adam. But at not as, as of the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one, that's Adam, many be dead, so much more by the grace of God. And the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. A couple of more scriptures. Verse 16. And not as it was by one man that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto, of justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of, of righteousness shall reign in the life of Christ. So we know this passage. Last one, verse 19. For as by one man's disobedience, again, there's no question, and Eve is not even mentioned here. But we do know that Eve sinned and transgressed and she was deceived. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous i don't want to speak beyond what i know but god has an order and man is the head and so he was he was given he did transgress he did sin and we see that he is given the i guess you would say the the credit if you want to call it that of of, of this sin now I have a few more things I want to touch on. But turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Because you can't just read 1 Timothy about a woman being silent or she was deceived. Those are facts. Okay? But then we, we have to read with other scriptures to understand. And I think this is very important. Very important. Look at Ephesians chapter 5. Every wedding you've been to, if it's a good Christian wedding, you've probably heard part of this. Ephesians 5, 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. That is not a little side note that has nothing to do with what we're talking about. It does have to do with what we're talking about. The man's the head. But what does it mean to be the head? What does it mean to lead? Well, one of the things it means is that he is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. That's one of the things it means that he has given headship. The head of every woman is the man. Okay? But what about being a head? He's not a little tyrant. The man's not to be a dictator over his own wife, nor is he to be a dictator in the church. Both are to be in subjection to the Lord. Equally humble, equally uh, dependent upon the Lord, equally uh, thankful to God. You understand what I'm saying? Equally preferring one another equally preferring one another, right? You could go on and on and on. Christians, in Christ, there's neither male nor female. Well, we know there's a difference in male and female, and yet he says in Christ, as you're standing as believers, okay? But this is important. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And then we'll skip down to, uh, to verses, verse 28. 
so ought men to love their own wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself, because they're one, okay? For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. We are, men and women. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. But he's the head. He's still an individual, but in the marriage sense, in the biblical sense, they become one new. I say it all the time at weddings. you got a man and a woman that even when they're engaged and dating and praying together and getting ready to get married, they're still two people. But God says when they come together in marriage, he's created something new. It's a new creation, so to speak, that two become one. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ in the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his, own, his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence, that is like a godly fear. That's where that word, reverence her husband. She doesn't worship her husband in the place of God. She's not a doormat who has no say-so in life, and the man's trying to lead her off into some kind of sin, uh, or something that's ungodly, and she's just obligated to follow. No, our, our obligation is to God. Our obligation is to Christ, okay? Just like, uh, well, anyway, see that she reverence her husband means a godly fear, okay? And I'm going to try to bring this to a close. It's important that we don't, we're not allow, say we, Christians in our day, maybe not you or me in particular, don't allow our cultural background I mean, I've grown up in the day where I remember back in the 70s, a big push for the feminism and Billie Jean King and, and uh, uh, the guy she played in tennis was old, crippled, and she was in her prime of her career, Bobby Riggs, and she challenged him. And it was a big thing, a uh, uh, battle of the sexes and all this, big push for feminism. And uh, don't let your, your cultural background shape your beliefs about biblical truth, whether it's modern-day feminism. Well, this sounds chauvinistic. What Paul wrote sounds chauvinistic. Well, Paul didn't write it. The Holy Ghost wrote it. And I'm the Lord, and I change not. So it is just as true for the church. might not be true for society that's in sin. It's just as true for the church and a marriage today in Christ as it ever was. All right? But, and so the man has to, can't take this and roll up his sleeves and run with it and say, I, I, I'm in charge here. Well, that man needs to be humbled before God. He needs to be in the altar. He needs to be filled with the Holy Ghost. He needs to love his wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. He needs to be a Christian and a godly Christian before every steps foot in a pulpit to pastor or lead a church, before ever he leads a wife and leads a home and leads the children if God blesses them with children. A woman is not required to submit to ungodliness or sinfulness. That doesn't mean that there... Uh, and sometimes you might have a situation where one's a believer and one's not. There's still a way to do it, I promise you. There's a way for, for both the, the one that's a Christian to be submitted to Christ and to be submitted in the home as long as it doesn't cause the one submitted to Christ to be disobedient to Christ. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, uh, I'm going to pretty much close with that thought. The last thought is kind of weird, uh, uh, say unusual. If you turn back, we'll, we'll close out this chapter, 1 Timothy 
2.15. So he just talked about what he talked about, and it's God's order and it's God's roles that he gives to people. Notwithstanding, verse 15, she, the woman, she was in the transgression and so forth, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith. That's the husband and the wife here, or, or maybe uh, women in general that bear children, right? If they continue in the faith, so they have to be saved and charity and holiness and sobriety. Nobody thinks that actually when it says the, she shall be saved in childbearing, there's nobody that believes, nor do I, that that means she's spiritually saved or born again because she's bearing a child, all right? That, that's just ludicrous. We're saved by grace through faith, men and women. So it's not talking about eternal salvation. The best interpretation of this would be that uh, she's physically kept. That's what saved means here. She's physically kept in her childbearing. God's going to keep her. Because part of the judgment from the Lord, I'm going to close with this thought. I wish I had time to read it all. Back in Genesis, right, where Eve sinned and Adam willfully sinned. And then the Lord, they made fig leaves and they hid themselves in the garden. They had not, had not hid from the Lord prior to this. Sin makes you ashamed and naked and guilty before the Lord. And the Lord says, where are you, Adam? Have and uh, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid, and I hid myself. Who, and I was, because I was naked. Who told you that were you na you're naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I forbid you to eat from? Well, the, the woman made me do it. The woman says, the serpent beguiled me. And he pronounces a judgment on the man, on the woman, on the serpent. Okay? And part of the judgment for the woman unto the woman i'll read this he said i will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy and thy conception in sorrow shall thou bring forth children and thy desire shall be to thy husband and he shall rule over thee okay we'll close with that verse it just means that that childbearing was going to be painful it was going to be it's not like you know taking a sip of water i mean it's going to be something physically to your body that is, I've never experienced and never will, but that is traumatic, okay? Traumatic. He says, I'm going to greatly multiply that as part of the, the judgment or curse. But she, she shall be saved, Paul says, or physically kept. I think that's the best explanation of that scripture in her childbearing. She continues in Christ and in faith and in the Lord. So she had already been saved to continue in the faith and and in a sobriety and, and charity and holiness, all right? So that's the best explanation of that. I want to close with this thought. It's also wrong to believe, because I don't think it's taught in the Bible, that a woman being in subjection to her own husband or the man in general in the church or in the home in a Christian, Christian setting, that the man is the head that in and of itself is not part of the curse. That's not a judgment. That's not, oh, you're cursed. Now the man's going to be the head. The man was already the head. I think that's important to realize. That's not part of the curse that was passed down, that now women are subject to their husbands all their lives, and it's just going to be miserable. They're just bearing this horrible judgment from God. 
It's not a judgment from God. It's a blessing if the man is godly in their church, if the woman is godly and they fall in their pro proper roles and their children are godly and their church is godly and it's wonderful and the Lord is pleased and blessed. That's not part of the curse that a man is the head. All right? He was already the head. We talked about at the beginning of this lesson tonight how Eve was taken from man. She was to be a helpmate for him. He was given uh, certain dominions and responsibilities. And we see it all through the scriptures. Okay? It's not part of the curse. Don't look at it as part of the curse that a man has that position. That man also has a position under Almighty God. And he better take it seriously. And many don't. There's all kinds of perversions both ways with the women usurping authority and with men domineering or men whipping out and not being what they're supposed to be. There's all kinds of perversions, but God has an order. And if that order is followed in godliness and preferring one another and loving your wife as you love your own body, as Christ loved the church, everything's going to be wonderful. That's just there's a beautiful picture that the Lord's given. It's not... It's not anybody getting the upper hand and we got the best of it or something. It's simply God's order and God's way. D, you can come. So we really touched on some stuff in the last three lessons on 1 Timothy. I'm glad we did. You might have a different belief or you might have a different take on it. That's what I believe. I'm confident with it, from what, especially what I taught the last couple of weeks from my study in the scriptures. Okay, if women were forbidden to speak in church, then they wouldn't speak in church, but they do. If women forbid, were forbidden to teach, then they wouldn't teach, but they do. If women were forbidden to prophesy or pray out loud or publicly be heard, and they're supposed to be silent, then we wouldn't see them prophesying and praying in church, but we do. And there, there's restraints to it. There are conditions to it. Just like there's conditions we're going to look at in qualifications for a bishop and a, and a deacon next week. All right? God's order. God's way. So y'all stand with me.